right, welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Recap. Once again, I want to thank you guys so much for your support. I, I need to also thank our sponsor, Veracity Networks, and my good friend, Drew Peterson. Thank you so much for supporting and being our sponsor. They're an amazing company. And uh, I have a, a, another amazing guest on today is David Grant. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited for uh, everyone to hear uh, David's story. Um, a little background on, on David. He, uh, he's currently a realtor and he does investment properties. That's I mean, right. I was you know reading through his bio, which is really impressive. Uh, he's done over 100 flips and uh, he's been through quite a bit. Uh, his life's been a, an interesting road. Um, which he's going to talk about more, but uh, he's been through some trials and some tribulations that he's overcome. And I love, we were just talking off the air yeah. and how you said, you know, you were, you were born with resilience. That's right. And I love that because it's really when, when we think when we're born, we're born with all these qualities. I mean, you're, you're so much more than that, obviously, right. but that's that one thing that's kind of like your bread and butter kind of thing. And it's really, you know, helped pave a way for you to get through some really difficult times. That's right. Um, you also have a brother who's gone through some ad addiction issue who's doing really well now. Correct. Can't wait for to hear your perspective yeah. on that as well. But I can't thank you enough, David, for thank uh, being you for having here. Me. Yeah. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So let's go. Let's just get into it a little bit, a little okay. background. Uh, why don't you share with our listeners where you're from, a little bit about your family, sure. and, and we'll kind of go from there. Absolutely. Yeah. So I am originally born and raised in Dallas, Texas and grew up in a large family. Okay. Uh, I have five brothers and one sister. And so a house full of boys, wow. she definitely held her own just fine. She's a very impressive <laughs> She's person herself. She that, is right? <laughs> very accomplished because of that, I, yeah. I would say. But my parents are wonderful people. My father is actually from Dallas, so he's familiar with that city and brought my mother there. She's from California, but they okay. actually met here in Utah. Um, but grew up in Dallas in a great neighborhood with great schools. We were fortunate to, uh, my parents still live in the same house I was really? raised in. Yeah. Oh, that's, and that's not very common. It's not common. <laughs> but if you knew my, my mother specifically, you would know she's that sentimental. She just loves the house that they picked out to raise their family in and had been there 40 years. Uh, but we were, we had the best situation. We had a park right behind our house with soccer fields and baseball fields and a rec center and a playground right directly behind us. So we spent all of our time as kids outside in the Texas heat, playing out there, playing sports. My family's very athletic uh, naturally. And so we okay. all participated in sports or okay. the deal was pick a sport or pick an instrument or both. But you got to do something. My parents wanted to instill in us a work ethic. Wow. Yeah, what uh, which I feel a lot of times now maybe not be you know it's not portrayed so much with right. families and and how important that hard work is and I do see that sometimes with some of my friends maybe and again I'm not a parent so I'm not one to judge but um, my parents were not you're not going to call their bluff we were going to do that they <laughs> wanted to instill that in uh -huh. us so we did it and I'm thankful for it because it did teach me how to work as a team my dad always basically coached all of my teams okay. up until you know, school sports. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. one of the greatest things about sports or playing an instrument. It teaches not, you know, hard work, but you know, self-discipline, you know, commitment and all those right. things that you'd want to instill in someone. And, you know, I look at my life with basketball, it, right. one of the greatest things that ever taught me was the self-discipline and the hard work. And so to hear you say that doesn't surprise me. And it's, you know, like you said, you're so grateful for it. Exactly. Maybe not at the time, but no, more, more so now. <laughs> right. No, there were plenty of times I wanted to quit or I was yeah. very intimidated by my competition. And I just remember seeing my mother's face and saying, you will get back out there and finish yeah. this game. Like, and, <laughs> and, and I look back at that and it did help me through uh, trials that would come that sure. I would have no idea that would come. But it also gave me experience and, and kind of like, I just feel like of myself as a jack of all trades. I have lots of interests. I have a lot of natural talent and ability, which can be a good thing, but it can also be confusing because okay. I had to learn how to work hard at things because initially so many things came naturally to me. Okay. And then as things started to get harder in life with school or college or uh, professional things, you have to up your game like everybody else who's been working hard for a very long time. Right. And and so you can't just rely on that natural talent. Right. So that was something I had to work on as a child. 
But again, with that work ethic, my parents um, taught me how to work hard. We always we all had chores. The house was spotless daily mm-hmm. because there's too many kids in the house. Yeah. And then I've had a job since I was 12. I started <laughs> refing and lining soccer under my sister, who was okay. very much into that, and just had a job to help me pay for college, to pay for a two-year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints that I went on, and uh, you know, eventually other ventures. So. Well, it takes a strong backbone to be a referee. <laughs> It takes a right. strong backbone as a as a twelve year old to tell parents to stop fighting with each other. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I refed a few games back in the day, a few basketball games, and just trying to deal with the fans was it was ridiculous. It's horrible, but, especially what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I think I think under eight soccer is a little more forgiving. A little than different, what you're doing. but yes, you know, you know it's surprising. So so you obviously at a young age started working. Yes, and and doing that again, it was expected. Yeah, you know, kind expected. of thing and. Um, which obviously is playing a role in your life even now and how that cultivated right. such a strong uh, resilience, as you would Correct. say, uh, in your life. So as you're growing up, um, tell us about like how, how did high school go for you? Sure. You know, a lot of times high school can be a difficult time or it can be a good time. I mean, how was it for you? You know, um, high school was difficult for me, even if it didn't come across that way. I was well known, not just for who I was, but also I was a grant. I was the sixth grant to go through pierce high school jj pierce and okay. the teachers knew who my family was right. uh, we had 16 continuous years of my siblings going through that school and so you know and everybody knew who we were and the values that we had dallas is a very religious city and we had lots of different denominations represented at the school of christianity as well as a large population of, of judaism and so the people stood out with their beliefs yeah. and so did i and I think it was confusing at times to feel a little lonely at times that there, there was really just a handful right. of members of, of my church that went to the school of many thousands and, and standing up for what I felt I believed in. Honestly, I felt like I had the admiration of many of my friends, but at the same time, because they maybe were participating in things that I did not agree with, I was left right. out and yeah. they knew that. And they were kind about it and no one picked on me about it and thought I was right. weird. But, you know, you also don't get to participate in a lot when those things are not an option wow. for me. Yeah. So how, where did that come from, being so committed to standing up for what you know is correct? I mean, that's a that's a that's a courageous thing to do <laughs> at that age. I, I, I actually really appreciate the word courageous um, when I would talk about my childhood before I left for college. I just believe that I was given a lot of courage. And I always use that term in thinking about my childhood. Uh, I was bold. And my mom would say that the only reason I wasn't bold as a child and blunt instead (laughs) was because I wasn't old enough to be bold. I was too young to be bold, so I was just called blunt. My delivery, I still (laughs) still to this day have to work on that a little bit. Um, But she helped me. I get a lot of my passion from my mother's side, and she helped me harness that. Because I just came to earth with such strong beliefs in in what I do believe. And mm-hmm. I feel like our Father in Heaven did give me that, along with the resilience I spoke about. And as I participated weekly in those church activities that included things mm-hmm. like scouting, which I eventually did become an Eagle Scout, much to my own dismay. Right. I was not that interested in it, but my mother kept me in that as well. Um Yeah, I just, I believe that when you practice something that often, it instills in you a belief that is hard to take away from you. And then it becomes so strong in you. It's almost like saying that it's a train going full speed ahead. It's really difficult to slow that train down and turn it around. I'm already going there. So it helped to just keep going that direction. Did you ever find yourself though, like, you know, those times where you are left out because you're probably not partying and doing those things. Right. Did you ever find yourself where, you know, man, I... I might just go do this because I'm just sick and tired of maybe being left out of that. Did you ever have those kind of thoughts going through your mind? I, I can't say enough that um, those thoughts for me personally weren't really an issue for me. Instead, I had a different out, a game plan for myself and a, a different outlook that my parents helped me have. I just thought, you know, my friends knew this. I've always wanted to go to, to Brigham Young University. It's where my parents met. And so I have a lot, a lot of affinity for that. Plus, there was a lot of like-minded individuals that I knew would be there. And so instead, for me, instead of thinking, I'm just going to give into this, I thought, I'm going to go full speed ahead. 
and I'm going to, I'm going to get out of here. Right. And I'm going to find my way out of this. And I just knew that if I'd spend a couple of years, a little lonelier than I wanted to be, spend a lot of time with my family, being the sixth, I already had lots of nieces and nephews. I'd go visit my family on weekends, hang out with my brothers and my nieces and, and nephews. And that was kind of who I relied on, especially my senior year of high school to spend time with, because I just thought if I can make it to BYU, I can kind of go live the life I was hoping to live with like-minded people. Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, it, it kind of goes, it shows the importance of being committed to something. Correct. You know, whatever it is. Right. When you're committed to it, you know, and that, that shows through your high school and what you went through. So um, we were talking off the air. You, you served a mission in Tonga. I did. I know I'm saying it the wrong way. Because no, my daughter always fine. corrects me. <laughs> Tonga. Tonga. Yeah, That's I got to right. put the Tonga in it. That's right. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> but you went through a really difficult time, and, and you were sharing some of those things yeah. with me. Um, let's let's talk about those for a minute because yeah. I think that's important. Again, it, and it goes, again, to this commitment and this resilience that yeah. you had. So let our listeners know some of the, the trials you went through. Sure. Yeah, I, um, I'm the sixth member of my family, and all of us serve missions for our church all over the world. Uh, learning different languages and having different trials. And I wanted to follow the lead of the, my siblings who I admired so much. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, going to Tonga um, was something that I would not be prepared for mm-hmm. physically. Uh, spiritually and mentally, I felt like I was doing my very best, but I would have trials that I would never have had before or since. Right. And my sixth week there, um, along with some of the other missionaries, I contracted dengue fever. And that that knocked me out for two weeks. Explain to our listeners what the, what is that? Yeah, exactly. dengue, de- dengue fever. I did a little bit more research on it. It's it's a really harsh fever that some people compare to malaria. It's not at all like malaria in its severity. There is one strain called dengue four, which can kill you. Okay. I got dengue three, which will knock you out for about two weeks, but your body aches and you get a really hot fever and your body can start shutting down. I went blind because of it. I woke up one day blind and could not see for the majority of that day. My vision did come back, but not all of it. And so there was some issues with okay. that. The doctor theorized based on that blindness that it was 105 or more at the time. Oh, wow. That's why my body started reacting that way. Yeah. But my joints ached and I got to a point where I couldn't lay down any longer because I laid down for so long. So I had to sleep in a chair sitting straight up with my head on the table. (laughs) It was, I could still visualize it It was pretty sad. And that was a test. That was six weeks in. I was there. I was committed. And I was like, man, at what cost do I have to do (laughs) do this work? Um, Because here I have a brother who went to, you know, California and he's living in a house with a garage and a car and he's got restaurants. And here I am in a hut, you know, far away. So, Um, but, you know, soon thereafter, I tore my ACL and did not get that repaired until I got home two years later. Really? So um, you just kind of hobbled around? Kinda, well, you know, I... I mean, I know you can still walk when it's torn. Turns out, right. turns out you could still walk. And uh, as long as you don't have to do anything more than that, it's okay. You're okay. Yeah. yeah. Kind of forgot about that one. And <laughs> But there were others. I, got, I did, I mean, on islands where you couldn't get water, uh, drink a lot of coconuts, turns out. That can be a problem for kidneys and got kidney stones. Oh, from coconut? From Just from drinking coconuts too much because it's so thick. It's an oil like the coconut milk inside. We didn't have oh. fresh water all the time. And oh, so okay. my kidneys couldn't handle that. And so you had kidney stones? I did have kidney stones. That was, like, uh, was excruciating. Was plural? Like you had I had several? three of them. Okay. Yeah, just and I kind of was able, thankfully, able to pass those. Mm-hmm. Um, I got boils. I got bit by a centipede, which made my whole leg go numb. You know, just different things that you experience in a country like that <laughs> where maybe animals roam free and insects are yeah. prevalent. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, but let, going through that, yeah. though, I mean, obviously outside of the spiritual part, which was amazing as, as, it, sure. as it is, but what was that teaching you? I mean, you're going through like, you know, these difficult, difficult times. You know, I've passed a kidney stone. I know how painful oh, that is. Brutal. Right. Uh, and then all the other stuff that you're going through. Well, how did that bless you, do you think? How did that make you better? How did that happen for you? Yeah, how did that happen for me? I love that question. So my very, you know, as for those that don't know, you know, missionaries, we travel in twos for safety and for, you know, religious purposes. 
so that we have strength in numbers. And I had a companion at the time, uh, Elder Andrew Wolfgram. He's actually from from Bountiful, and he was done. He had been there his whole time, his his two years, and I was just starting. And I would go to bed, and I'd get bit by bugs constantly, ants and cockroaches and mosquitoes. And I just finally said, how do you deal with this? And he goes, you know, I just let the bugs bite me. (laughs) And it was kind of this moment where I was like, okay, I just have to be okay with the things I cannot control, but I can control how I react. And I thought it's not going to be an option for me to leave this place. My commitment was two years. I told myself that at the beginning. I said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to finish it. And when it's done, it will be done. I'm not going to revisit it and right. go back and hope that I'm still there. And so as I'm going through those experiences, number one, it taught me, wow, I can do hard things. Yeah. And secondly, it taught me, okay, I am committed to this because I am staying. And that was great because it helped solidify my belief in that thing yeah. that I would stay and endure it and let, quote, let the bugs bite me. And just that would be the thing I can't control, but I can control all the other things that I'm working on, including my reaction to that. Wow. Yeah. What a lesson, huh? Yeah. I mean, what a powerful lesson. And I love what you said that, you know, I've got to just accept what I can't control, but what I can control is the way I react to it. Right. And I love that. Just let the bugs bite me. Yeah, just let the bugs bite me. (laughs) (laughs) And then pretty soon by the end, you know, what seemed like giant welts from mosquitoes were tiny little red dots because the body acclimates. Acclimates And I just got used to it. Yeah. Right on. Wow. That's amazing. So you come home after, and I know you're kind of, you call yourself a jack of all trades. Yeah. You know, you'd like to get your hands into many things. Yeah. Let's talk about that for sure. a minute. You know, you come home from your mission now. Let's just kind of go from sure. there and in, in what you were trying to get involved with. Come home from my mission. I'm fortunate enough to, uh, to get a job at the mission training center. And I did that for the, my entire time that I was at BYU. And I was able to work there training other missionaries, the Tongan language as well as other teaching skills and things and explain experiences that I, you know, went through that I had no idea I was going to go through, maybe prep them for it. Right. You know, and then along with that, uh, my brother, my, my brother just above me, Nicholas, he, he turned me on to what he was studying, which was marriage and family, human development, introduced me to some of his professors. I started going to those classes and fell in love with the material and thought, I want to become a therapist. I want to help people through their problems. Ideally, it would have been marriage therapy, um, but general therapy nonetheless. So I started down that path. And during that time, I I was learning how to teach. And I took a summer off and did, especially for youth, I was an EFY counselor for that Mm -hmm. uh, camp program at BYU. That was a great experience to work with the youth then. So I learned I liked working with youth. I learned I liked to teach. I learned that I like to help people through problems and those things also help me through my own individual issues, self-talk, talking myself through things, talking out loud, not living in my head, not allowing things to just stay buried under the rug. Where'd you learn that? That was from uh, different courses at BYU for my major and literally it was not- That's a powerful exercise. It's a powerful exercise and I took this one course, Marital Enhancement, which- it was a little ironic because I'm not married, but <laughs> took it anyway. That's all right. <laughs> and we had to go physically stand on a mat with four quadrants in it in the hallway. And our partner would ask us something we were struggling with. And we'd have to move from quadrant to quadrant on this mat. And each quadrant would have us do something. What is the problem is the first quadrant. The second problem is how do I feel about it? The third problem is what do I want to do about it? And the fourth quadrant is... What am I going to do about it? Right. Because there's a difference between maybe what I want to do versus yeah. what needs to happen. Yeah. And just that exercise of physically walking through, talking through it. I find myself in the car even today. I'll have a bad you know situation happen with a transaction for real estate and maybe a have something happen with a client and I have to literally talk through so I don't say something I regret or lash out when I don't mean to, because I'm not very good at getting upset. It's not my color. And as I do that, it helps me work through it. Right. You know? Right. Had that been something you struggled with about maybe lashing out and not able to control that? Is that your, what, is that why you, you're so kind of strict with that? I think for me, you know, growing up, I think I'm very logical when I tried to do something and it didn't work out. I'd get upset. I'm not necessarily the type to be violent. 
or to yell, but I would throw a fit mm-hmm. and I would get upset. And my mom would call me out for it. Right. And I just thought, why, why is this happening to me? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. This wasn't a part of my plan. Logically, this didn't make sense. I yeah. had to really learn how to say, okay, that didn't go as I thought. What am I going to do about it now? Versus right. that's not right. Yeah. And then stay upset. And then stay upset. Gotcha. Yeah. Very cool. So let's, um, you know, if we can, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about your brother. Sure. Um, is it okay? Yeah, absolutely. His name? Same as Joseph. Joseph. So yeah. Joseph, uh, your bro- older. He's my younger brother. He's the younger mm-hmm. brother. Sorry. Yeah. Younger brother. And uh, he struggled with an addiction for he a did. while. Let's talk about that yeah. and what your perspective of it and how that was going through that as a brother seeing another brother yeah. going through something. You're like probably going, wow, what do I do here kind of thing. So I'd love sure. to hear your thoughts on that. Well, and you, you yourself are familiar with addiction mm-hmm. as well as working with those that have it. My brother is on the side of individuals, probably maybe on the more rare side, where number one, he doesn't blame a single person for his addiction. He owns it, always has. Never once blamed his wife, his children, my family. He, uh, that's rare. He is rare. And he <laughs> is he's very kind and gentle. Even on drugs, it is very rare to see Joseph act out in any way. It was very internal. He would kind of, you know, go inside of himself and we would have family functions. He just wouldn't join. His right. family would show up, but he would stay away. And it's not mm-hmm. like he didn't want to be around us. It's not like he didn't, you know, believe in going to church. It was that Joseph was ashamed. He knew what it was that was wrong. He struggled with some depression issues, was prescribed uh, medication for that, okay. which he subsequently abused. Okay. That led to further... Uh, a further disorder per se in the sense that he so heavily wanted to perform for his family at work that the only way to do that was by getting illegal drugs like cocaine, which has helped him hyper-focus for long periods of time. Right. Uh, And that's a designer drug. It's expensive. It takes a toll on the family financially. It also takes a toll on, there's a danger factor with dealing with dangerous people. But also sure. there's the danger factor of where is Joe? What's Joe up to? Right. Is he safe? And if he's, for instance, if he's driving, are other people safe around him? You know, right, because right. we don't know. Right. And so as an onlooker, it was tough for me, number one, to watch him go through that because it was like, hey, where'd you go for all this time? You were physically yeah. in front of me, but not there. Yeah. And then it was really hard for those that were always around him in Dallas, because that's where he lives with the okay. majority of my family. Okay. And I'd come visit and I'd, I would see the stark contrast because I'm not around him as much. And another brother, Nick, who also lives here in Farmington as well, he would notice it and we would make mention of it. And not that the family was at all resistant to it. They just couldn't see our perspective and we couldn't see theirs. They right. were used to seeing him that way. Yeah. He was very charismatic. He was good at it. He could hide it. Yeah. Joe was good at it. But then he got lazy, as they sometimes can get sure, lazy. Sure. He got he got a little faulty with where he hid things and stopped caring. We people found things he stopped caring. Um, uh, right. He was just going to keep doing it. But unfortunately, I would pray for Joseph uh, constantly, and I did not want him to pass away and have that be how he would learn a lesson, and we'd lose him. I just wanted something to get through to him because I couldn't and neither could anybody else because as he put it, David, if you were in front of me and there was a bucket of cocaine behind you, I would bulldoze you to get to it because that's how addicted I am to it. I right. can't see anything but the addiction. Right. I loved, by the way, I loved his honesty because I sure. loved, I knew where I stood. Yeah. But what ended up happening was, is he, um, w- he was found by the police on the side of the highway in Dallas and he was passed out in his in his car, and they had to cut him out of his car, and he mm. woke up in jail. Okay. And that was one of two visits to prison that he, that scared him straight, and he put himself into a state drug rehab program that's extremely intense, very unforgiving. It's forgiving if you want to do it. Right. It's unforgiving if you are right. careless. If you, if you fight up against Correct. it. Correct. Yeah. The judges will literally send you to jail in the moment you show up to court. He had a breathalyzer in his car. He had a breathalyzer on his person. 
You this know, is in Dallas, correct? This is in the Texas. laws there are pretty strict. If I, if I know, if correct. I hear correctly, right? J- Joseph was put in jail for a day. The second time was seventy-two hours. After that, it gets ex- exponentially more time. So he saw people who barely had committed very many offenses go for a month right then, or six months right then, really? because. Yeah. There's a lot of people in Texas and there's a lot of people who could get injured because of that. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know? Right, and yeah. so being somebody who is so grateful that our father in heaven, at least for my brother, kept him alive and kept him safe. Um, I'm very grateful that he was able to go through that intensive program and be successful at it and to show himself, yeah. you can do your job well without cocaine. And that yeah. was his problem. He thought, I can't do this without it. I'm not, I'm nothing without it. He thought he was defined by it. Wow. When in reality, his talent and his charisma had nothing to do with drugs. They just extended his ability to stay awake and maybe focus at the moment. But he would soon learn that he was actually much, much, much better being completely himself. Not to mention, who are you unless you are, <laughs> right. you know, who you are with your family? Unless you're somebody with your family, really, what does the work and the money matter? I think that happens a lot with people who are struggling with an addiction. It's hard for them to see doing things without it. Correct. It just becomes so comfortable. It's It's just what they do and what they they are, all of that. And to see, like your brothers even said, how can I do my job even half as good without it? Yeah. You know, and I love how there is that transition period where maybe not so much, you know, that he's doing it bad, he just doesn't see it yet, but then all of a sudden, right? wow, I'm doing this so much better without it. Exactly. Never thought that was possible. You know? and I had a breakthrough moment with him that I think I had with him at one point where he had probably had to have many over time. There's not just one pivotal moment. You know <laughs> yeah, this. Sure. Um, but I remember he's very into sports and very into baseball, and I, t- I said, listen, when people take performance-enhancing drugs, does it make them hit home runs better than the next guy? Alex Rodriguez is going to hit home runs because he's so talented at hitting home runs. Right. It may make him stronger, sure, but it's not going to make some off-the-bench guy all of a sudden hit home runs who doesn't have the talent. Exactly. Same thing with his cocaine. I kind of had to use that analogy, and that That's made sense great, to him. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because it didn't make him more talented or capable at his job, which he's very good at. It just made him endure the day a little better. Right. At least he thought. Well, yeah. 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 That's <laughs> not the, really. <laughs> and there's and there's the lie. Right. There's we the lie. Think that I'm making it through. The, this is going to get me through the day. Right. I was meeting with a client earlier this morning. Same issue with cocaine, and uh, thinking, well, I don't know how to do my job without it. Right. And Heard that one. It comes back to the belief that we need something outside of ourselves to make us better. I'm nothing without it. I'm less. Yeah. 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 Very wow. And so it was really tough. Um, not to mention, as those that know the effects of cocaine, we we would soon later learned that um you know he was mixing different drugs and right. we almost lost him and do you, you know do you overdosed or correct yeah. we almost lost him uh and we're grateful that the cocaine somehow tricked his body into thinking it was still alive because it has that effect on the heart yep and he was able to wake up and his doctor talked to him later about that experience as that's what we know what his doctor theorizes what happened because of how he was acting yeah and so um you know, this is, thankfully, he and I are very close and we have a great relationship to where I can talk openly about this and he would only be grateful that anybody could take something from his story. Yeah. But he was struggling at the highest level and he was deceiving us at the highest level and he's had to learn how to gain trust back. We always loved Joseph. Uh, right, There's sure. no, no dip in the love. Right. Yeah, right. But there's always going to have to be a little bit of trust earned and that's, and again, that's something that I, I mentioned in my bio beforehand, that trust is something that I've had to work on. Yeah. So. Well, you know, I say this to my clients all the time who have been doing drugs and, right. you know, lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating. We've trained everyone around us to not trust us. <laughs> yeah. We've trained them. Yeah. And so, and then, and then what happens when they don't trust us, then we resent them for not trusting us. But that you're right. You, you couldn't have said it any better, David, that we, um, like, I always tell my clients, your family probably will never trust you on the level that you would want. It will slowly, gradually get there, but it's going to take a long time. Yeah. Because it's not about what you say, it's about your actions it and is. what you do. And so I'm glad you said that. Yeah, and, and again, to your point, he should be grateful we don't fully trust him. That'd yeah. be foolish 
because he might pull the wool over our eyes again and the yeah. boy who cried wolf will think he's crying for real and so yeah. in this situation you know i he he yeah. would say I'm, i feel so bad about what i've done to my family how can i you know how can i get these relationships back and i said you are going to have to be patient with us as your siblings because you were really good at this for a long time yeah. and we're trying to learn how to bring you back in how did your parents handle this this is where you know I can't thank our Father in Heaven enough for my parents. You cannot hurt them because they know nothing is personal. They raised us. They know us. And they've been through such struggles themselves. They were 100% on his team. My dad, you can't get that guy down. He was weekly went over to their house to help that family with their finances because right. it takes some finagling of finances to purchase drugs and so to get everybody on the same page but also to work through addiction my dad's very familiar with that as well being he's been a leader multiple times in the church helping people through those types of things but as well as my mother you know the constant support we're always there for you right you can all but they set boundaries and that was the best part about them you can't act any way you want in our life but you can act this way these are the boundaries we set this is what we're willing to do. But at no point were they going to throw him out on the street. Neither did his wife. Joseph was successfully able to keep Ashley, his wife, throughout that entire time and four children. Right. And and she stuck with him. And she is the rock in that relationship. And learn, I'm sure she learned a ton. Oh, yeah. But that family is what it is today because of Ashley, uh, his sure. wife. And their children love Joseph to death. That's the thing about Joseph you have to understand. It's not just about the fact that he has an addiction is almost irrelevant. Joseph is a great individual, and everyone knew that. The drugs were the problem, not Joseph. So we didn't want to take it out on Joseph because we knew that Joseph was the best. We just wanted to help Joseph with this thing that was getting in everybody's way. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow, what a blessing for him to have such supportive family around him which yes. is rare as well, unfortunately, very rare. around this. So, And very cool as a brother how you were so supportive and, and how you guys were brutally honest with each other. Well, and in that regard, I made a mistake. You know, Joseph had lied to me again. I found that out and called him out for it. And I kind of hit a point where I thought, maybe if I dangle our relationship in front of him, maybe that'll mean something to him. So I just said, I'm not going to talk to you anymore until you go to rehab. Kind of like this emotional blackmail. Yeah. which is a term that we used in my major, which I know is not right, but I was right. so emotional in it. I came to my senses about three months later and realized this has nothing to do with me. He's not going to think that our relationship is such a great prize that, <laughs> that he's going to say, I'm going to give up drugs for it. <laughs> exactly. He can't, he's, he's on drugs. He's not thinking straight. <laughs> right. He's not going to ask for help. Right. He needs an intervention of some kind, which he got. So I learned my lesson as an individual and thought, I'm only going to be supportive right? because nothing he's doing affects me. Yeah. He lies to me. So what? I go on with my day. I'm fine. He's yeah. not. So yeah. why am I, yeah. why am I treating him this way? <laughs> I can't be that prideful. I had to really come yeah. to my senses that's on a, that. Yeah, yeah. That's a good realization, good yeah. awareness around that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It, uh, it's, it's something that we, I know what you were trying to do because you, you're <laughs> like, okay, what can I get him to you know, get them in there, that blackmail piece, yeah. whatever. But uh, you're right, it comes down to them wanting it. They've got, they just got to get to that point where it's on them. It's not because of yeah. David, I'm doing this. Yeah. I'm doing this because I need to do this. Exactly. Right. And had he done it for me, it would have failed. So yeah. grateful yeah. that he did it for the yeah. right reason. And, yeah. and, and I'm sure there's, you know, when, when I work with clients, when they first get here, there's like, they're here for other reasons besides themselves. Right. Which we Good. tend to understand in the beginning. Yeah. Well, we hope they have that that switch flips where they go, okay, I really want this for me, for me. Yeah. Outside of all of that other stuff. That was great to get me here, but I'm doing this for me. Exactly. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah, it is. Wow. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Uh, and congrats to Joseph. If you're listening, absolutely. Props to you, dude. He's doing so great. Stay strong and keep doing what you're doing. And, um, you're an inspiration, man. A lot of people could learn from him and and hopefully someday he'll use uh, some type of platform to share his story because I believe that he is a success story so much so that his own judge that he met with every Thursday at the courthouse was in tears when he was, you know, passed his program. Wow. Well, maybe next time he's up here, we could have him on. Absolutely. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, we should. I'd love that. 
Very cool. Well, let's uh, shift gears just a little yeah. bit because there's another part of your story I want to get to where um, we talked about it uh, off the air, but how you kind of had to reinvent yourself yeah. a few times. And let's talk about that because you, I mean, you're a go-getter. You set your mind to something, you yeah. go get it done, but you were doing some things that didn't quite pan out and you kind of lost everything. Let's talk about that. And and then also your experience with uh, a member of the Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this is uh, my story. In 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 essence, um, I wanted to be a therapist, as I mentioned earlier. Right. And in order to become a therapist, you actually have to go get a master's. You can't practice uh, right. a lot of different kinds of therapy without it. And so, I ended up quitting the MTC, uh, the Mission Training Center, because I knew it wasn't relevant to my future trying to become a therapist right. uh-huh. directly. And I reached out to one of my professors, Dr. Sarah Coyne from Brigham Young University, who I admired. And I literally just said, listen, I'll work for you for free. I just want to be a research assistant. Help me understand what to do. And she goes, listen, I have some grant money. I'm going to pay you. Uh, Come on. I'm going to have you do some research with me. You'll transcribe. You'll do some gritty work, but you'll get published. And while I was there working with her, I ended up having an idea. This was kind of new at the time. It's not anymore, but I thought... I wonder how instant messaging and Facebook and non-face-to-face forms of communication affect romantic relationships. Uh-huh. And I did. I got an Orca grant uh, the really? day. Yep. Yeah, I I wow. I applied for the Orca grant the day before they were issuing them. I got it. I did research and I got published wow, as an undergrad cool. with Sarah. She's obviously first author because she's the PhD, and she ended up taking that further to a national level. And the name of the article is called. It's called I Love You Smiley Face. <laughs> but it talks about those yeah. effects. So I started getting, I bring that up because I started getting entrenched in loving counseling and therapy and human behavior and relationships. And I wanted to be this therapist. Well, I applied to four schools. I did great on the GRE. I got great remarks. I had great letters of recommendation. And four schools denied me. And that was tough. Yeah. It didn't make sense to me. Right. But I didn't give up. I took part-time jobs and I worked at a treatment center called Maple Lake Academy. It's in Spanish Fork, and it's for teenage girls on a ranch. Okay. They do equine therapy, group therapy, personal therapy, all different kinds. Sure. And I was going to work there for a year, work with therapists, work with the kids as mentor, and uh, that was heavy. That was heavy, not just how they reacted, but also because I read about their lives, and it was tough. It was really tough to read their psych evaluations and learn what they had been through and realized I was pretty blessed as an individual with what I have today. And, and some of them had just so many things they couldn't control. I did that for a year and I got great letters of recommendation. And for a second time, four different colleges denied me. Mm. And this was, you know, an experience where I went to the Dean of my school at BYU and he told me how people were getting accepted and where I stood. And it was really kind of who you knew and who you could work with in your master's. And i Maybe I should have done more work getting to know some of the professors so they knew me. Yeah. And that was a mistake. But as I left campus, I felt very impressed that maybe that wasn't the right direction for me. Maybe that w- work would be too heavy long term to sustain. As many of my teachers taught because they did not want to do therapy. Right. They taught instead. And so I shifted gears and that was that was heartbreaking. My mother, I called her uh, from BYU on campus. I still remember it. And she just said, son, it sounds like you're trying too hard. Maybe it's time to rethink this direction you're going right, right. after giving something five years of your life. It's tough to walk away from it. Sure. Especially when all I wanted was just to help people. And yeah. I felt prevented from that. Yeah. And so I pitched an idea to my brother, Nick about, uh, on the side, I'm a carpenter. It's a hobby. I pitched an idea how I could build furniture with reclaimed materials. And, uh, my brother who has always believed in me and he's just above me. Uh, he's always wanted my success. He invested right. in my company Okay. and he owns a social media company and he promoted my company. And for two years I was successful in building furniture and selling that online. I got hundreds of hits a day on my website and yeah. I was getting lots of sales and so one, one day it just stopped. And I couldn't figure out why. And I talked to Nick and he couldn't figure out why. And the cells stopped coming through and I got stubborn. And instead of moving back to Texas with some money, starting over with something in my pocket, I didn't want to go back to Texas. I didn't want to admit defeat. Here I am, I'm 30. I speak a different language. I have a college degree. I've started a a business. 
Yeah. And now I'm going to go home 10 years after I left with nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like I'm not, yeah. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. But that's what happened. Instead of going home with money, I went home with nothing. I spent every last dime trying to make it work here. And trying to keep it going. And I was living in my parents' house in the upstairs in my old room, looking out at that field I told you about, yep. thinking, how did I get here? I'm yep. single, 30. All my friends in Dallas who I went to school with, high school with, they've moved on. They're married. They have families. They're, they're in business. They're doing well. And uh, I had to decide in that moment that I was not going to stay down. And that was tough. I wanted to stay down. I wanted to be mad. I wanted yeah, to sure. blame something on God. I wanted to blame something on maybe a, a thing my parents should have taught me beforehand, but didn't, you know, as if that would have solved anything. And I did something that I feel, you know, if you read through the scriptures, I feel that there's many times in the Bible where people bargain with God and they say, give me a chance or let me try this out before right. you come down with your fire and fury. And so I made a deal with them. I said, listen, I feel like I should be here in Dallas. Maybe there's something I need to learn. Maybe I need to be around my family for a little while because right. I haven't been. And, uh, but at the end of that, at the end of the time that you want me to be here, I'd like to go back to Utah because I love the mountains. I love the yeah. seasons. I love skiing. I just picked that up and, and that's where I want to be. And I want to get a job and this is what I want. This is how much I want to make. And that was the time that my brother Joseph also moved from Arizona because they were struggling and we would find out that he was on drugs and I would, oh, wow. that would be the beginning of me living at the same house with him for a little bit, helping him through that. And so there was purpose there, there was a purpose. but I couldn't see that. Yeah. At the time I wanted my business to work. Yeah, right. I wanted to stay in Utah. <laughs> I wanted to, you know, yeah. be up here with the, the life I had just established for 10 years. I didn't want to go home and admit some kind of defeat. That's very short sighted. And so after a year to the week of being home, I, uh, I spent that time in Dallas. I used my handyman skills to work for an investment company and okay. I was involved in over 100 flips throughout wow. Dallas, Fort Worth. That's amazing. It was brutal. It was hot, <laughs> but I got to learn how to buy homes at auction, which was ruthless. And I did that literally on the county steps of the courthouse in Fort Worth and Dallas, uh, first Tuesday of every month, buy 10 homes with their money and go fix them. And, uh, by the end of it, I was just in charge of it. I didn't have to do all the work and it was great. And I took those skills and came back here and I had to reinvent myself here. I had to get my real estate license and I struggled through that and I had to gain a following. Yeah. Wow. I'm a young guy. Yeah. The average realtor in, in the United States is a 57 year old woman. I'm a 35 year old man. It's very different from the average. <laughs> and so you have to build it's a following. A, but, yeah. um, since wow. then, yeah. So, so that was, that was a trial to leave the therapy behind and to, to go to Dallas. And then it was a trial to leave Dallas and come up here and start yeah. over again. I can imagine. And, uh, but since then I've been in real estate now four years and been involved in a number of investment property flips where okay. flipping is tricky. It's hard. You have to get it at a low price. So we actually purchase them now and we rent them out to gain oh, our money back. To get the money and back. And gotcha. so we're landlords, uh, okay. but we make them beautiful and people want to live there and renting is a great business because people need to rent and yeah. especially near colleges, which we have many of here. And, cool. yeah. and then I get to still help people. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Um, again, goes back to that. What you said is that resilience piece. And you look back even the way all the way back when you were 12, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. You know, just having a job at 12 and just working hard and, and how that your parents instilled, you, you know, we need to work hard. I expect you to do this, 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 and this. Had you not learned all that, you would have probably not, you probably would, who knows what you would have done later in life, but to see you keep going, okay, you know, even that moment when you're looking out the window going, I'm 30, I'm here at home, single, what, what's going on? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But again, hard. how you got to connect with your brother mm -hmm. in such a way, which kept that going. It did. Blessing, obviously. Huge. And then, uh, but then what you're doing now is, you know, you're back up here in Utah, you're a realtor and you're moving forward and you're doing great things there and that's right you know moving forward so i don't know it's just really cool to see that resilience piece through that whole timeline my father will even call me and say can you imagine six years ago when we when you were living at the home that now you'd be here flipping right. properties helping lots of people with buying and selling homes you become an expert in that and i that's when you realize if you can just have a little perspective 
it just one can have a little perspective. It doesn't take long to change yeah. and to have things work your For way. Sure. It, you don't, no one has to stay down that long. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome, man. Well, um, if you could uh, give any advice to our listeners right now who may be struggling with anything really, but you know, maybe in particular they might have a family member who's going through a drug addiction or they've o- opened their own business and lost yeah. everything. And I don't know, what, what's some advice you could maybe give some of our listeners that uh, are tuning in? As I'm growing up still, and as I'm learning <laughs> still, and, uh, and, I, and I still make a myriad of mistakes throughout, I have had to learn how to just decide now. My advice, even for just myself, is when I started real estate, I had an impression that this was going to be difficult, but that I was going to do it regardless. Right. There's lulls. There's periods of time, even in real estate, where I won't get paid for six months at a time because the market's down maybe and I just don't have anything going on and I have to learn how to live on what I have. But what I've decided is I'm doing this. I'm going to have the best attitude I can. I'm going to figure out how to make it work, which is why, partially, if I may just tangent slightly, um, I, because of a great friend of mine, I won an opportunity to meet with Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank. She has a podcast called Business Unusual, and my friend uh, Mariah reached out to her on my behalf mm-hmm. twice to win a contest that she was offering on her podcast for 30 minutes of face-to-face time just on on the computer, right. on Skype, where she could give business advice. She's very successful. Sure. I won. Wow. And two months ago, I met with her on Skype and... This is direct business because she originally was in real estate in New York. She met with me and she does this on Shark Tank. So if you watch (laughs) her, she'll do this. She'll be like, I think I got you pegged. And she's really abrupt to some people. I loved it. I wanted it. Tell me what to do so I can be successful because I'm struggling. You're the same way. I'm the same way. (laughs) I can identify with that. And so she looks at me. After 30 minutes, she stops and she goes, I think I got you pegged. I go, okay, Barbara, tell me. I was so nervous. (laughs) Here we go. And she goes you're never going to be a superstar in real estate. And I just kind of chuckled a little bit and I thought, Mm -hmm. okay. And she goes, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you're not going to be successful. She goes, David, you're not a jerk. And I can tell you that right now. The best salesmen I know are jerks. The best people in real estate are jerks. But she goes, she helped me even reinvent myself slightly more. She goes, you lit up when you talked about flipping homes. Go back to that. Incorporate that into your life. Learn how to use that to your advantage. And if you do that, she goes, you will be very successful in that regard because you have skills other people don't. You can flip physically. You can flip those homes. You have the skills. You can go to auctions and buy homes. You know how to do that. And you're a real estate agent. You know how to do that. Find an investor, ask for their money, and start doing that. And I did. And now I'm on that path. (laughs) That's and I awesome. partnered up with a friend who's been doing it for a few years and we're cruising. And that's, that's even still like, how can I even become better? My other advice would be once you've decided, ask a million questions. Yeah. Ask, I should have asked more questions if I wanted to be a therapist from all my professors. What can I do to get my master's? How can I get accepted? I should have asked more questions when I started my business. I didn't have a business, one business class at BYU. I didn't Mm. know what I was doing with anything. I lost all of my money because I didn't know how to spend it or do books. Ask people who you respect to be honest with you and tell you, how do you see me succeeding in this? And if not, where can I succeed? Yeah, and kind of like with Barbara, she was just brutally honest with you. Honest. You're not going to be a superstar, dude. And. And you people, I think that's mean, <laughs> yeah, right. But she's being completely honest, she's trying to help. And that's and that's I love that because we do need to ask more questions. We do need to have people to be honest with right. with us, right? Because you know we want everyone to be you know we don't want to you know have contention or anything. So I'll just kind of tell you what you want to hear. Oh, you're gonna be amazing, blah 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 blah. Sure. But the bottom line is, no, you need honesty, and we all do. We do. Yeah, it might sting in the beginning, but it right. will help in the long run. Now look what you're doing right. because of that advice, that brutal, honest advice. I'm forever grateful for it. Wow, that's and cool. And if I could give that to, my, for instance, my brother Joseph, I don't care what he thinks if I'm being honest with him. 
I'm yeah. trying to help his life. Yeah. So how he views that is irrelevant. Yeah. Barbara did not care about my feelings. She cared about my success. Yeah. I'm so grateful that she did. And this was the best part. She goes, find an investor, start doing it. Email me. I want to know how you're doing and maybe I'll respond to you. <laughs> and maybe. Yeah, maybe. Because she's being she's honest. Being honest. Yeah. Because I probably yeah. get a million emails. Yeah, she does. But that was so kind of her just to take 30 minutes and help me out. And she was very kind about it. But I love that strong, simple yeah. hand. This is yeah. what you should do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Wow. What a cool story. Yeah. Well, um, what an amazing story, man. And, and just... I love your energy. I love how Thank you're you. just straightforward and you're, you're, you're that guy. And I like I that. I guess so. <laughs> that's why you get things done. And, and I, I do want to thank you also being so open about your brother. And yeah. And uh, again, shout out to Joseph. Good, good job and stay strong. Absolutely. And if people wanted to reach out to you and you know they wanted to ask you another question or they want information or anything, what would be the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, so uh, the easiest way, if you are on social media, is uh, I have all three of my names on there just to be easy to find. You can find me on Facebook at David Milton Grant. You can also find me on Instagram at David Milton Grant. Okay. I just keep it my name. Sure. Uh, they can also reach me at my email, David Milton Grant at gmail.com and they can reach out to me at if they go on my instagram they'll see my journey in my business i show different things i do with transactions as well as tutorials on how to put floors down tile on ba in bathrooms Beautiful. how we renovate houses what we keep what we don't keep things like yeah. that yeah wow wow very cool man very yeah. cool i want i want to thank you so much absolutely for taking the time thank and coming sharing your story and uh, I just love that I'm, I get to sit across from people who share their life with me. And, you know, it's like, I really yeah. feel like I know you now and, and I know our listeners are going to really benefit from your story. And, and again, I, I can't thank you enough for spending this time to do that. Well, I appreciate you having me on, especially since as a side note, a oh, yeah. few years ago, <laughs> I did build you your lemonade stand that you use That's right. in your, in your presentations. Lindy did hit me up and ask me to build that. <laughs> and I, I, I think it's great. I finally get to meet like three years later after yeah, I built that. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, we we he told me that off the air, and uh, I, Lindy had mentioned that to me as well. And I was like, no way, that's the guy. Um, <laughs> but it, it, incredible lemonade stand, by the way. We oh, love it, you. and uh, thank you for doing that. And uh, but uh, again, thanks for the your time. I really appreciate it. Well, there you go, listeners. Another amazing uh, story. Uh, another amazing podcast. I can't thank you enough for your support. Uh, we're trending on iTunes. It's just, it blows my mind. I just started this on a whim over a year ago and I've had such amazing guests and this is no different. And uh, again, I want to thank our sponsor, Veracity Networks and, uh, and my good friend, Drew Peterson. Thank you for sponsoring this amazing BeliefCast and making this all possible. Again, listeners, love you guys. Uh, stay strong, stay clean. Uh, remember, belief dictates our behavior and we're all good to our core and we just need to know and believe that and move forward. So... Thanks, everybody. And again, David, you're amazing. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, man.